Ahoy Mets fans! Welcome to episode 313 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore. Thank you for joining us this week. I am joined this week by Mr. Ken Lavin, and we're going to be talking about a number of, uh, you know, sort of spring training news and notes, some uh, potential uh, roster spots, stuff like that. But we're going to start off by talking about some, unfortunately, some very sad news. And so uh, let's get to that. Well, Ken, we are recording this on the night that it was announced that perhaps the greatest all-time Met, certainly in the top three Mets of all time, Mr. Tom Seaver, is um, is unfortunately been diagnosed with uh, he's been diagnosed with dementia and is going to be pulling back from public life, retiring public appearances uh that means he'll be missing the Mets 50th uh anniversary celebration of the 69 team later this year uh and generally just you know a guy who's been present at just about every major Mets moment in history will no longer be present for for those moments um obviously both of us are are, are too young to remember Seaver in any real way as a player I think he retired when I was four or five uh, but I have no recollection of him as a player. But obviously, as a Mets fan, the name Tom Seaver carries a ton of weight and is an incredibly important part of the franchise. So I guess to begin, sort of what is your what are your memories of Seaver? What's your sort of understanding of him coming from it from your own fandom? And then where do you think he belongs sort of in the pantheon of great Mets? Um, well, I, I... I'm kind of of the opinion that he, he's far and away the best player in franchise history. Like, um, he's the best player in franchise history by like every major war metric. He's, he was the only hall of famer for a very, very long time. Um, that that's kind of, I guess what, what he's always meant to me. It's just like that mythic figure that maybe I never got to see him, but, Everyone, every Mets fan I know over the age of every Mets fan I know who's roughly my dad's age speaks about him in such like um, reverend tones, you right? Know? Right. Just this like otherworldly talent, and like we were talking in Slack today about um, Seaver, and honestly, he's like the first great thing to happen to this team. Yeah, like in its history. <laughs> I, I I guess you can make the argument that Casey Stengel was a great thing to have him. But Casey Stengel was great yeah. because of what he did before. He wasn't great for the Mets. Like, he was great. Right, right. Or, or what he did great for the Mets was predicated on what he did beforehand. Tom Seaver is the first, like, uniquely Mets thing that was good. You know, I'm, I'm very fond of saying that um, Jacob deGrom is, like, a miracle in a lot of ways. <laughs> sure. Like, um, unheralded prospect came out of nowhere uh, and, you know, is arguably the best pitching prospect pitcher that we've developed since Gooden. Um, Seaver was like that times like 20. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, we, we were talking in, in Slack again, and like he's had five of the 10 best seasons in franchise history by like baseball references war. Like 50% of the best pitching seasons in franchise history are his. That's pretty incredible. incredible. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. there's not much more we kind of have to say in terms of how great yeah. he is. But what's what's been especially cool about Seaver is that even though he is a, a California native 
And even though he did not pitch his no-hitter for the Mets, and even though he did not finish his career with the Mets, he's sort of, ever since he retired, he has fit in seamlessly to what is sort of the understanding of the Mets beyond the on-field product, right? He's always been, you know, he was at the last game at Shea. He was at the first game mm-hmm. at City Field. He was a Mets broadcaster for a number of years. Um, right. You know, he's just been this indelible part of the Mets family ever since he retired in the mid-'80s. And uh, I don't know if until... I, I mean, Piazza certainly, because of the Hall of Fame... Mm-hmm. is is sort of on on a similar path and i think that you know for mets fans there are a couple of 86 guys that are as identifiable as mets as Seaver is but i think to people of like you said our dad's generations mm-hmm. um he is the mets and he maintained that role long after he sought to be the Mets. Does that make sense? Like, Oh yeah. You know, he, he is, he is very much an indelible part of this franchise. And one that I think kind of like, um, Ralph Kiner or one day when, when Keith Hernandez, you know, ascends to the, his higher <laughs> plane of existence, like there'll never be another Seaver. He, he is, he has a unique, and solitary place in Mets history. Would you agree with that? I would totally agree with that. Like, um, there's no shortage of pictures of like Seaver and David Wright, like hugging. Yes. You know? Yes. Like when I close my eyes and I, I think Mets, it's like David Wright, just because he, I grew up watching him. Sure. Seaver, Hernandez, good. Like, <laughs> um, I don't know if there will ever be a, like a, another player who really like fits in that, you know, you close your eyes and they're what you imagine when you think about your team. Right, you know? right. And, you know, it's it's interesting because so much of this sort of narrative is driven by other people's opinions or um, so it's by happenstance in some ways. Like, for instance, you know, I I remember Gary Carter as a Met because I, I was four in 86. So I remember, <laughs> you know, very little of those really great Mets teams but I had the Gary Carter starting lineup figure. And Mm -hmm. I I certainly remember watching Gary Carter in his last years as a Met. And when Carter was up for the Hall of Fame, there was real debate whether he was going to go in as an Expo or as a Met. And I think Mm -hmm. if he had gone in as a Met, he would have possibly joined that that Piazza Seaver um, sort of stratosphere of, of former Mets. Uh, even though he played as, you know, he is as identifiable perhaps as an expo as he is the Met Worth. I think even though Piazza had those great years in LA, I think Piazza has always been, since he retired, a Met, right? Mm-hmm. Carter was kind of in between those two, but I think he might have been able to cross over more if he had been inducted into the Hall of Fame as a Met. But I agree, like, in terms of iconic Mets, <laughs> the Mount Rushmore at this point is Seaver, Wright, Gooden, and Piazza. Right? Yeah, I'd probably say that that's true. If I forgot Piazza earlier, that's. <laughs> well, you also you're a fair amount younger than me, so I don't know how much yeah, Piazza no, but, you watched. No, P. I I saw I saw a lot of Piazza. He was probably my first favorite player. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, and guys like Carter and Hernandez and. Mm-hmm. Strawberry 
and Kuzmin and, you know, maybe if you're, you know, a galaxy brain intellectual, maybe Carlos Beltran, you know, these are players that sort of identified the Mets for a generation and right. hopefully will always have a certain place in in franchise history. But like we said before, none of them are ever going to be Tom Seaver again. Right. Um, and I think there's something to be said for like um... – even even going back to him being like a mythic figure, like like there's been no shortage of times in my life in which I've asked people who have got to see him pitch, what was it like to watch Tom Seaver pitch? You know, yeah, that's sort of like um, almost like an oral history type thing with him that I don't think we'll ever be able to replicate. You know, yeah, I think that there's probably a season or two of Doc Gooden. You could say that about. Yeah, and, sure. and 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 I'm sure that Degrom Cy Young season will one day be the thing like our kids ask us about more so than like the R. A. Dickey Cy Young season. Although to <laughs> me that was just as incredible. Um, but you know, yeah, in slightly different ways. Though. Yes, exactly. Like, oh, totally different ways. There's just like an absurdity to it that just I don't know. <laughs> yes, um, absolutely. <laughs> you know, but I think that there is a uh, there is a real that this franchise is going to feel really different without Seaver at the helm of it. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, and, and it's also, he's also one of the very few players to, to, to have instantaneous recognition as a Met. And that's kind of weird for a franchise as old as the Mets because... When you think about it, like there are a number of players that you can think of that are instantaneously associated with like the Tampa Bay Rays. And mm-hmm. uh but the Mets just for whatever reason, especially on the position player side, haven't developed that many lifelong or at least majority of their career superstar players. And by whatever metric you consider a superstar, Tom Seaver was a superstar. And yeah, like there's a legitimate case that he's the best pitcher of maybe not quite all time, but certainly of his era, you know, I mean, and when that era includes Bob Gibson, you know, that... yeah, when that when that era is known as the age of pitchers, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's high praise. Like, yeah, um, I mean, they don't call him the franchise for nothing. Exactly. Exactly. And, and and not only that, but, you know, when Seaver was inducted into the Hall of Fame, he was inducted in the peak of the bullshit. There shouldn't be any unanimous Hall of Famers. And he came so close. You know, that tells you just how good he is. That, that This universal recognition. Yeah. Like of, yeah. His brilliance. And, and, you know, it's a shame that we're eulogizing this guy while he's still around. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it is really important that we take every opportunity as Mets fans to celebrate the best of our own. And uh, I sincerely, I think I speak for every Mets fan out there to say that, you know, we wish nothing but the best for Tom Seaver and that he deserves all the peace and happiness and health that he can possibly get in light of his diagnosis. And uh, that we uh, we send well wishes to him and his family and his friends and that uh, we hope beyond hope that you know, that a cure is found in his lifetime and that he's able to recover from this. So, you know, thank you, Tom Seaver, for everything. Thank you, Tom. Let's talk about the the 2019 Mets season as it is shaping up. So 
Uh, our colleague at Amazing Avenue, Maggie Wigan, wrote a great piece this week that sort of laid out the Mets' plan for you know, if the Mets are going to make the offseason, sort of how is it going to happen. And she points to a couple of of places, uh, talking about breakout seasons for Alonso and Rosario, talks about uh, the health of the starting rotation. And um, I think those are sort of the big two that we've all agreed are sort of mm-hmm. the the keystones for a good Mets season. So reading her article, obviously there is a certain amount of luck involved with that, especially on the injury side. But having read that article, do you feel better or worse about what the Mets did this offseason? Um, you know, generally better. There's a lot of places for this team to be better than last year's team. Um, you know, even coming down to like a, a major point she makes is defense, like how bad this team was on defense last year. There's just like no shortage of places where, um, maybe they underperformed or got a little bit unlucky last year, uh, where that could go a lot better this year. Sure. Uh, and I guess may- maybe just because we're getting close to the season, um, I-, I guess maybe I'm just feeling a little better in general <laughs> about the Mets' chances and you know, reminding myself how much luck is involved in baseball. Sure, and yeah. It's maybe among the most random sports there are or games there are. Um, but yeah, I-, I definitely felt a little better after it. There is a clear path to contention, you know? Yeah, and I also think that, that clear path to contention – is I don't want to say it's um, like, like t- pitching health is obviously something you can't you can't predict, right? Th- a million <laughs> things could happen, and that's just the way it is. But I think everything else that Maggie sort of highlights are things that the Mets have positioned themselves for. Like you know, right. I think you can't argue that up the middle their defense is still not ideal, right? They don't really have a center fielder. They don't have a defensive wizard at catcher. But I think that up the middle, the Mets are as strong or stronger than they were last year. And so... Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, so that that's a good thing. I think that if you look to um, both Ahmed Rosario and Pete Alonso, even though spring training stats mean nothing, both of them seem to be seeing the ball very well and hitting the ball very well in spring training. And so you think that if there's a breakout season in place for one of them, they are doing the right things in the, in the preseason to set themselves up for that. Um, And while the injury bug has hit the Mets a little bit thus far, it really hasn't hit them in ways that are insurmountable. You know, a couple of injuries to starting pitching would be devastating at this time of the year. Like Todd Frazier being hurt, not the end of the world. Uh, Jed Lowry being hurt, a bigger concern, but still not the end of the world for the team. You know. Um, yeah, we've generally only had injuries so far in um, positions where we're we're relatively well set up. You know, where we have a little bit of coverage. Like maybe sure. Jeff McNeil doesn't need to play left field right away. Right. Right. You know, it would be it would be nice to get Jed Lowry or Fraser Fraser into the lineup and McNeil, but you know, we have coverage if anybody at you know third base and probably like second. Um, there's no shortage of guys who can, who can stand there and play. for. Absolutely. Yes. At a, at a, like a decent level. Yeah. Um, 
it's, it's funny you know, we we've talked so much about the Mets depth this offseason how in on one hand they have acquired a ton of infield depth and a ton of sort of subpar outfield depth um <laughs> but you know there there is still very little pitching depth especially starting pitching depth to speak mm-hmm. of and there's you know if they carry three catchers perhaps there's some catching depth there but it's a team that is really oddly constructed in a bunch of ways. So what, what area of the team's construction sort of worries you the most uh, you know, going into the season? Um, the bullpen is very top heavy. Sure. There's no real depth um, behind like the big guys like Davis uh, or not Davis, sorry, uh, Diaz, uh, Familia, Wilson, you know, it, there's like a, a pretty steep cliff after that. Are you telling and, me you're not all in on Luis Avalon? No, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, <laughs> he's looked actually pretty good this spring. He has, um, yeah. Yeah, um, that actually might not be bad. Uh, so I guess the rotation then. <laughs> okay. I was going to say both, but um, I think the rotation's probably a bigger concern. If they miss, say, like Stephen Matz misses 10 starts, they're going to end up going to like Chris Flexen, who, you know. Yep. Is in the best shape of his life, but of course, of course, as as much of a coin flip as anyone. Yes, you know? yeah, and and that's especially frustrating when you see how many starting pitchers are still out there, mm-hmm. and how many starting pitchers can be had for oh next to nothing right now. Right, like functionally, like not even getting into the fact that the Mets are well below the luxury tax. Like guys who are really not making much at all like not moving the needle at all in terms of team spending i said this on the podcast a few weeks ago and it was sort of balked at but i think every day that goes by it gets more and more true i think geo gonzalez is going to sign for a minor league deal oh wow that's bold i mean dude it's it's march 7th no, yeah, you no, know yeah. like no, I, I can see it now i can i can really see it now um and that's... i ultimately think somebody will give him like one and four sure. or something before it gets to that and the, um and the mets but, should be the team yeah. to do that you know hundred uh, percent like that would i would feel so much better about this team's chances if um they brought in geo gonzalez or god willing dallas keichel yes i agree it's not happen <laughs> and what's what's maddening is that both of those players can be had probably pretty cheaply and probably considerably cheaper than the last time the Mets inquired with their people yeah probably true also you know um yeah I can't imagine they're sitting in or they're they're touching base with I forget who Keiko's agent is yeah I forget too but overall, I can't, I can't imagine they're checking in that often. No, but they, but they really should be, you know. It, no, of course they, they should always be checking in. Yeah. Uh, is there any? Uh, I've asked every podcast guest this for the last month or so. Who is like your guy that's still available out there that you would bring in if you could, within reason, obviously. Okay. Um, probably Tony Sip. I think he's a pretty good fit. Um, Gio Gonzalez is probably the right answer, but there's just something about like watching your bullpen implode after a few injuries. Yep. You know, uh-huh. I I never want to relive 2007 again. Yep. <laughs> so I, I guess I'll always kind of lean towards wanting more and more bullpen depth. So I guess Tony Sip would be a good one. Okay. 
Yeah, Tony Sip's yeah. a good answer. And again, a guy that can probably be had for next to nothing at this point. Yeah, like one in three, maybe? Yeah. You figure for $10 million, the Mets could sign Gio Gonzalez, Tony Sip, and somebody else. That's yep. insane. Yep. I mean, Sip made $6 million last year, and you got to figure it's so late. Yeah, no, that's completely reasonable. Like... They they should do that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and one of the sort of implicit things this offseason was that the Mets were never going to compete for Machado or Harper, right? We we kind of knew that going into it that that wasn't going to be part of their plan. But looking at the Harper deal, which for those who maybe don't know, he got a thirteen year, three hundred and thirty million dollar contract, leading to an average annual value of just over twenty five million dollars. Now, no one is saying that's chump change, but $25 million for a player of Harper's caliber seems like, I mean, like a goddamn steal, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was fully expecting him to get like 30 or 32. So um, do you think that there would be, like, if, if the Mets weren't owned by the Will Bonds, if they were owned by just, you know, Joe Average owner, do you think the Mets would have been in on him? It's entirely possible. I know that's incredibly like, um, hard to predict, by the way. <laughs> I know yeah, I'm asking yeah, a hypothetical no. question that is impossible to answer. I mean, obviously, you know, who knows? But uh, I, I would assume probably, like, if, if they're somewhere between 160 and 180 in terms of um, million dollars in payroll, 25 puts them right around the luxury tax, depending on where you have the number at. The Yankees, there's lots of teams that spend to the luxury tax. It definitely would have been possible. Yeah. And um, maybe like an owner who under (laughs) – I don't want to say like understands an ROI, (laughs) (laughs) return on their investment, but like um, an owner that understands the marketing potential of, you know, how fired up this fan base would have been. Yeah. Uh, How fired up the Phillies are right now. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, I mean, the Phillies have had a historically good offseason. Yeah, yeah. No, I completely agree with that. <laughs> you know, just based – and really one in which they didn't they didn't totally empty their farm system. They didn't totally bankrupt themselves for future moves. And they mm-hmm. still managed to add, you know, Harper, GT Real Muto, um, Andrew McCutcheon – uh, Gene, uh, Segura. Gene Segura. Yeah, I yeah. mean that that that's a hell of an off season. Oh yeah, they've um the way the way that I think about things like this is um generally the goal should be to create the best team possible so that you know if you fall short of you know whatever you think your true talent level is you you've got a buffer right you know the Phillies certainly went for it <laughs> yes like I I don't know. Uh, I don't, I don't, I'd have to go back and look at like, um, who improved the most from like a projection standpoint, but I can't imagine it's anyone other than the Phillies. Like, although I have to say the, um, I guess it's the Pakoda projections mm-hmm. with the signing of Harper brought them from an 82 to an 84 win team, which is pretty low. I would think for that team based on what they've in done the this off season. Yeah. Huh. I, 
that seems close. I, I can hear you fact checking me, um, <laughs> but that that's fine. Sorry, I, I just... no, it, it's it's absolutely fine. I I read an article yesterday that basically said that it was um, I think it was on the I think it was on five thirty eight maybe. Um, oh, it might have been Zips. You're thinking of. Maybe it was Zips, yeah. Because I'm I'm, look, I'm looking at Pakoda right now, and it's they're they're tied with the Nationals at uh, 89 and 73. Oh, okay. Uh, and I think they were at like 84. They were going to they were third in the division behind uh, the Mets, who were projected to be 87 and 75. I think they were 85 wins, maybe. So Harper added something like four. Okay. Um, I'm looking. At but it, again, though. yeah. <laughs> It's better to be projected for 89 wins well, than 87. Absolutely, because... yes. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I actually read some some stuff this week that basically said there's a very good indication that Harper has already peaked. That, that if you look at how his numbers have broken down the last few years, you know, his numbers have, have peaked a little bit. And that maybe he will never be the player he was a couple years ago. Now, that also fails to take into account that a couple of years ago he had that 10-win season that was historically great, and so you're probably yeah. never going to look at another 10-win season for him. But I also don't know if you're ever going to – I don't think that the 1.8-win season is necessarily his reality either. Yeah, no, I think there's some funky math going on in there. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, it was the – They're probably uh, not like factoring defense in right. L. <laughs> well, and last year he had like historically bad defense. Which I, I'm sure he had, I'm sure he was not a great defender last year. But I don't think he was historically bad. Um, but by the way, it, yeah. it was the 538 uh, projections I was thinking of. Gotcha. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I just remember all the tweets going through about Pakoda. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> because it said exactly what <laughs> anybody who wanted to pick on the Mets would say. Yes, of course. <laughs> uh, there is definitely. A um, I guess a bit of melancholy is maybe the word of just seeing how reasonable both the Machado and Harper deals were in, oh, yeah. in terms of average annual value and just overall price. I mean, look, I, I don't think I I'd be hard pressed to sign anybody to a thirteen year deal in a vacuum, right? Thirteen years is probably too much to sign. Yeah, that that's a long time. Like that um. I think I made a joke on Twitter that like that relationship is going to go sour and then come back so many times. Oh, like, that's just such a long time to be in anyone's good graces. Yes. You know, but that said, I also think that just, I mean, if the Phillies needed a boost to their ticket sales, he's mm-hmm. done that. If the yeah. Phillies needed a boost to their play for Mike Trout next season, you know, he's probably done that. If the, I don't know what I'd do, Brian. <laughs> I mean, but but I mean, he grew up a Phillies fan. No, yeah, yeah, I understand the argument. I just, I just, if it happens, I don't know what it would I, do. I, <laughs> I can't imagine it happening. Uh, no. Only because that would be that team would be too good. <laughs> it would yeah, be. I can't imagine it happening because if I did, I'd probably start crying. Exactly. But. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but looking back, you know, at the Mets off season, I think it is easy to undervalue what the Mets did. Oh yeah. Um, they really improved. Like, um, I don't know. I mean, it would have been hard not to in a lot of ways, given that like Jose Reyes and Austin Jackson were like two of the 10 worst players in baseball <laughs> by, by F war. Like, right, yeah. 
uh, and both got like significant time down the stretch. But also, like, there isn't really a weak point in that lineup, at least on paper. Right. Which is, I guess, all you can really reasonably ask for, you know? Um, there's, there's no real weak point in the plan A, at least. Right, yeah. I, I do wonder what... And I think it's it's easy to, to picture what happens to each bit of the Mets team if injuries or bad luck takes mm-hmm. takes place. But I think it's hard to imagine what the realistic floor and realistic ceiling is for the team. I think it's easy to project big or small in either of those regards. Right, right. And it's easy to see how the wheels all come off. Right. And it's easy. Yeah, it's easy to see them implode. And it's also very easy to see a lot of things go right in like a 2015 type way. Yes. You know? Yes. So I, I think that coming up with a a sort of reasonable expectation for the team is harder than it should be at this point mm-hmm. in the in this season. And I think, like you said, adding a Tony Sip, adding a Gio Gonzalez, you know, please, please, Mr. Wilpon, add a Dallas yeah. Keuchel, you know. I think adding those players could... It would just make me feel so much better. It really this would. Season. Yes. I mean, just having Vargas as the long man means that you're yeah. only seeing him if something bad happens. Not every fifth day. Right, and he'd probably be one of the better sixth starters in, in baseball. Absolutely, like, yes. He's, he's probably better than a lot of the guys who will end up being, like, fill-ins. Yes. For most teams, like... Not only that, yeah. but, you know, I, I think every single team in baseball the last four or five years have used at least seven or eight starters. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you need them. Like, so, so, you know, you're going to need pitch, Vargas. Pitchers break. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, um, I get it, it. beats It beats having, like, Corey Oswald throw, you know, ten starts or any of the, the guys who should be in the bullpen because they're, they're better as relievers. Right, you know? exactly. It allows you to, like, maximize value from, like – the guys who are kind of in between. Sure. Yeah. That's a very good way to put it. Um, so I, we, we didn't talk about this beforehand, but I kind of want to throw you a curveball here. So mm-hmm. the Mets have signed a, a lot of let's call them shitty outfielders. Um, you know, I, I would call them NRIs. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but still, you know, but yeah, yeah. Guys, you, you realistically do not want to uh, play a big role on the team. Right. Uh, today, I, the, I, the signing of Carlos Gomez became official. Mm-hmm. So you had Carlos Gomez. You got... Oh, geez, I'm yawning. Yeah, uh, Rajay Davis, um, Gregor Blanco. Uh, Braxton Lee. Yep, uh, Braxton Lee. You, you could maybe even I'm add... Missing three guys. <laughs> yeah. But you could possibly include Keon Broxton. In the, yeah, yeah, I'd say that's fair. In that, even though I think he's better than those guys probably at this point in his career. Yeah, I think he's probably um, probably like a good player to have on your bench. Sure. Like there's uh, like actual utility. Yes, absolutely. Um, so if the Mets are going to bring one of those outfielders north with them, who's the guy you want them to to bring? Outside of Broxton, Lagares, uh, McNeil, Conforto, and Nimmo. Um, probably either Davis or Gomez. I don't think there's like too big a difference in what they bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Both were pretty bad um, last year. Uh, Davis, I think, was like fifty percent below league average, which is you know, 
not good. Not good, yeah. <laughs> um, but both can kind of play center field as long as they can do something. Yes, I, I, I that beats doing nothing. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like Rajai Davis can stand in center field. Carlos Gomez, I don't know, might be able to run into a couple here and there. Right. Um, yeah, probably either one of them. I don't think there's a, a particularly big difference between the two. Um, I'm pretty sure one of them is is gonna be gone immediately after camp, though. Oh yeah, yeah. Pretty sure that's why both of them are here. Yes, I also think that there's a not insignificant chance that the Mets Syracuse outfield contains two of the three name, two of the like four names we talked about. Like I, I also think that that's probably part of the reason Carlos Gomez is here now. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's like like they brought back a lot of guys who were like big time Mets prospects. Yes. For a while, like Dilson Herrera's back. Um, <laughs> six people. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, you know, I agree with you. You know, I think Ty Kelly's back. <laughs> probably. Um, yeah, he's floating around somewhere. Yeah. Um. I do think that Syracuse makes things more interesting for the Mets this year because I think that they're going to care a lot more about the AAA roster outside of the prospects than they did when they were in Vegas. Yeah, I think they want like a big opening. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like a, like a, a really big first season. Yeah. They filled it with a lot of like borderline talent. Yes. there There's every chance that that team could be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, and a few legitimate prospects will probably end up there. Yeah, at some point. Yeah, I'd imagine Jimenez is probably if things break right for Jimenez, he'll end up there. Alonso is probably going to break camp (laughs) there. Um, Guillaume possibly. Guillaume will probably spend a lot of time there. Although Hechevarria makes that a little complicated, right? Um, Depending on how you view his sort of like chances of heading north with the team, but yeah, exactly. Um, and so, so the last thing I want to talk about is something that you brought up to me that I thought was really interesting, which was the, the sort of competition right now for first base. This is something that's happening because Todd Frazier has a uh, an oblique strain. Otherwise, we probably aren't having this conversation in the same way that we would have if he was healthy. Yeah, there's a real opportunity there yeah. with uh, Todd Frazier hurt. You know, it, it would be very easy to just say, okay, Todd's going to hold down first base for a few weeks while, you know, Pete Alonso works on his defense or whatever. Right. But right um, now, it looks like either Peter Alonso or, you know, perhaps Dominic Smith could be the the Mets starting first baseman, uh, you know. Yeah, I, I think it's basically a three-horse race between um, Smith, Alonzo, and probably J.D. Davis in there, too. Although he might now be needed for third base. Right, yeah. Or or maybe splitting his time between both. Yeah, um, So what do you think about this? I, I, I kind of know what your opinion is, but share it with our listeners. What do you think should be happening? And bear in mind that even if it's the logical thing, this is the Mets. Mm-hmm. So that may not be the thing that yeah, actually yeah, I'll, I'll try to get to both sides of it. Sure. Um, <laughs> So I, I want to say first that, you know, Dom Smith could make this real easy and, you know, just destroy the baseball in a way that nobody else did and earn the job outright, you know? Yeah. Um, that, that's definitely a possibility. Dom Smith could hit 570, <laughs> uh, be by far and away the best out of the three and, and take, take the job. 
what I what I fear is going. I I personally think that um, Alonzo is the best of the three. Um, it's just like he's got eighty grade power. Like right. <laughs> when was the last time we had a position player come through who had one eighty grade tool, or one tool that could theoretically be an eighty grade tool? Jeez. David Wright, maybe. <laughs> maybe, maybe you could argue like early Lagaris defense. Yeah, yeah. But um, even that's a stretch. Yeah. Uh, like Conforto is like my dream of what a prospect should be. <laughs> like good college hitter goes through the minors fast. Uh, he doesn't have 80, 80 power. Like <laughs> right. Um. So that's what I, I think is the sort of optimal move. Should they really, you know, really care about clawing back the extra year? Uh, I, I think Smith is fine. <laughs> he probably deserves another shot um, where he's not also expected to play the outfield. Right. Um, I think that a platoon of him and Davis, like you said, you know, with Davis kind of splitting time between the two, third base and first base, uh, would probably be pretty – would be okay. Um, that being said, I, I think Alonzo is probably the correct move. And like, especially in a division that's this close, like for projected to be this close with the Mets, maybe even being a little behind, like you have kind of, I feel like you have to prioritize winning from day one, you know? Yeah. That's actually a really good way to look at this. I think I am, I am shocked at sort of how tight this division is going to be, not just at the top. <laughs> but sort of mm-hmm. all over. And I think that if it was Alderson, there was no question where Alonso was going to start the season. Yeah. But because it's Van Wagenen, it's a little bit harder to know that exactly. And Yeah, and he's also talked like a good game about it. You know? Yes. He's, he's said multiple times that, um, you know, if Pete earns the job, he'll have a chance. Right. Um. I mean, that remains to be seen, obviously, if it'll happen, but he's at least said the right things. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but I think there's actually a chance that Alonso does break camp with the Mets. Oh, yeah, I think so, too. If only I because it... I think it would be a good PR boost for this team. Yeah, and also, you know, his age 31 season is only so valuable, you know? That's true. I, I think somebody's going to look at that math and be like, you know, meh. The wins now are probably more valuable. Right. Um, if that happens, you know, we mentioned before that you know a breakout season by Alonso is a really important element for this team overachieving and making the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I also think that a an underwhelming Alonso performance is not as damaging as it may initially seem. Because there is still a Dom Smith, there is still a Todd Frazier, there is still a J.D. Davis. If he comes out and has just a miserable first six weeks, mm-hmm. you have other options there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's, um, I don't know, like seven guys on the team who could probably play first right. for a bit. Yeah, exactly. Like, even Cano. Cano is, like, significant time at first. Yeah. He spent some time at first. Yeah. Um, I guess that's one of the perks of having like twenty second basemen. <laughs> it's like a couple of them can shift over if you need them to. Yeah, I mean, pro- um, more than likely, Lowry, McNeil, Frazier, 
Davis, Cano, maybe Darno. That's five guys right there. Yeah, and also, you know, like you there's always like the absolute like like Dom Smith and JD Davis could probably fake hack it for a few weeks. Right, you know? absolutely. Yeah. Like um so yeah, there there's I th- I think there's less downside risk. Yeah. With um like say Alonzo isn't you know what we hope he is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I think that when you look at that sort of depth even though it's not as deep as you'd like all the way across the team, mm-hmm. I feel much better about this team than I did last year's team just for the fact of outside of a starting pitcher, there is no position that I think is as thin as last year's team. Oh, definitely. I mean, like even like catcher where like, you know, Tomas Nito probably isn't quite ready. Right. To be like like an everyday guy, but like there's, you know, two catchers instead of like there, there's a very there's not a high chance that Jose Lobaton's uh services will be needed. Right. You know? Right. Especially if there, they carry three yeah. catchers. Yeah, yeah. But there's yeah, there's guys in the organization now that there's more, you know, depth there now than there was last year. Yeah. Um even at like kind of the thinnest position on the roster. Yeah. And that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling cautiously optimistic about this team. Yeah, me too. My big question is going to be, if they're still in it come July, do you think they have the pieces, the money, or the balls to really go for a big move? Um, The one thing that I will say, 2015 and 2016, they, they did kind of go for it at the deadline. Um. 2015, obviously, with Cespedes, and then they, they tried with Bruce in 2016. Sure. It didn't work out great, but, you know, Dilson Herrera wasn't, like, an insignificant prospect when it happened. Right. You know, his shoulder just happened to blow out, like, immediately after leaving. <laughs> but um, I, the, the one thing that they have shown me over the years is that, like, if they're close and if the team actually, like, looks good, this isn't like a, like a, was it, like, 2009, they were, like slightly above or 2010 one of the really bad years they were like slightly above 500 at the deadline Mm -hmm. or at the all-star break uh when they're like in it and like semi-competent like they go for it you know which is nice um it's just getting there is the the tough part you know yeah absolutely um so i'm not really worried if they're in it i think they understand the they being you know the front office of the will i think they understand the value of a playoff run i hope so um yeah. I mean, they've been kind of banking on memories of 2015 for a while yeah, now. Yeah. But, um, yeah, like, I, I think if they're in it, though, I think they'll, I don't know if they'll have the prospects to get something great, but I, I think they'll definitely try to improve the team. Folks, that does it for another installment of Amazing Avenue Audio. Thank you so much for listening. We truly, truly appreciate it. Please go to AmazingAvenue.com for all your spring training needs. Help us help you get excited for the season by checking out our season previews, our spring training recaps, and much, much more. You can also find Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can email the show, aaaudiopodcast at gmail.com. 
I promise we're doing email soon. I'm sorry, friends that have written in. Uh, we are just, there's kind of been a lot going on lately, and we're trying some new stuff with the show, sort of behind the scenes. So I promise you there will be email very, very soon. Um, we also would love it if you went to Apple Podcasts, to Stitcher, to your podcatcher of choice, and subscribed, rated, and reviewed the show. Those things help us quite a bit. And you can find me and Ken on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. Ken is at KenLavin21 on Twitter. And, um, yeah, next week we're going to have a, uh, a a couple of shows, I think. We're going to have the debut of a new thing. We're going to have some old friends stop by. It's going to be a lot of fun. So, until next time, let's go nuts.